from rum towards the end of that intro all right that's right i'm your host kurt sandvig and on this week's spooktacular edition of paranormal almanac i'm gonna see if i can do it even longer paranormal Oh, I got lightheaded. Let's talk about cursed movies. But first, as always, let's do some shout outs to the patrons. Head over to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac. This is your last week to get in to be a patron so you can have a chance or two chances to win a Hand of Fate replica. I'm giving away two, one to the regular listeners, one to the patrons. If you're a patron in October, you are entered your names are already on this little digital spinny wheelie thing that people told me to use for choosing somebody. Because I was really going to write down all the names, throw them in a hat or a skull, and then just pull out a name and be like, blah, 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 you want a hand of fate. But everybody's like, nah, you got to do it like digital so you can prove that all the names are on there. And look, it's not that it's, it's not, you're not winning a freaking car, people. It's a, it's a hand of fate. It's, I'm not going to try and screw you guys out of a hand of fate. A patron is going to win a hand of fate. And it's up to the hand of fate which patron is going to win it. All right, with that, let's get it right on into the shout-outs. We got a shout-out to Paula, Rick, Nico Share, and the mouse. Hey, you know what? No, mouse and Nico Share. That's right. Mouse gets top billing as far as I'm concerned. Andrew, Paul, Mark, Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Tuesday Marie, only on Tuesday. Any other day, not Marie. Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia Mailman, Tony Chaparro, 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 I don't know, Chaparro sounds better. Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Tom, Lobito Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige, Kyle, Sean, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Alicia, hey, howdy, hi, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voitech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Sosa the Demon, applause, Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, what's that, Carrie, Robin, Will, 
Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Scustin, Lindsay, Megan, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi. I haven't talked to you in a while. I got to text you after this. Veronica, Autumn, J. Mark Manning, Carolyn Martin, Jade Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. GamerFan. You know what? I'm going to see whoever is the oldest. I'll put it this way. I think it's GamerFan. Whoever is the oldest patron continue not like by age but by like has been a patron the longest is gonna win a hand of fate not win you're gonna get a hand of fate i think it's gamer fan i'm 99.9 percent positive it's gamer fan um but we'll see but i think it's gonna be uh i think it's gonna be gamer fan because you know what gamer fan i think has been the longest continuous patron i'll i'll double check but uh, so don't get too excited we, there's we, there's a lot of stuff I got to look into, but I'm, I think I'm going to give another hand of fade away to a patron, another patron, and it'll be the longest running, currently active patron. How's that sound? Why the hell not? It's my rules, my game. Let's do it. All righty. Um, if you guys can, can't guess, I always do the um, the intros, the, the shout outs live, and it takes a couple of seconds for me to really get into the swing of things. And then all of a sudden it'll start speeding up, but then it goes too fast. And then my mouth is saying things that my brain hasn't really digested or registered yet. And then I kind of get lost. Now you just got to kind of go with it. What I've learned after 200 and how many ever episodes, once I hit that speed, you just go with it. And you're hoping that the words that you're saying are the words that you're seeing. It's it's a really, it's, it's a mind fuck is what I'm saying. But uh, I love doing it. I love the patrons. All righty. There's also two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and to Stitch, my boy. Uh, let's see. Hand of Fate, I already kind of talked about it, but you got to get it in now. Send in your emails to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com if you want to be entered into the regular giveaway for a Hand of Fate. You just got to put, like, Hand of Fate giveaway, I want to be entered, and your info. That's it. Someone's texting me. Who is it? Doesn't matter. Um, that's it. That's all you got to do to be entered to win a hand of fate by the end of this month. Now, I know I keep saying it's going to happen on Halloween. I'm going to do it, and it might still happen, but it, it might be like, you know, the 30th or it might be the 1st. So I'm saying get it in now because Halloween is coming up quick, incredibly quick. You know, and today, right now, as I'm recording, it's actually beautiful. It's rainy out. It's kind of chilly. I'm drinking an apple cider. It's just... It feels, finally, it feels like Halloween. I went and saw the new Halloween movie last night, and, uh, eh, I didn't, uh, it, that's how it ends, huh? All righty. Uh, oh, everybody wanted to know, not everybody, but a few people wanted to know about my P.O. box. I keep forgetting to talk about the fact that you can mail me if you want. Um, I got to find it while I'm babbling here. You can mail me if you guys want to mail me something. There is a way to mail things to me, and that way is... Oh, banter, Kurt, banter. That way is... Where is it? It's going to be written here somewhere. I thought, but I said I posted, but where is it, but... Ah, here we go. It is 1812 West Burbank Boulevard... Number 7102. That's right. You can mail me something to Paranormal Almanac or Kurt Sandvig 
at 1812 West Burbank Boulevard, number 7102, Burbank, California, 91506. Unlike the hand of fate that just showed up at my home address, which I didn't particularly like. Oh, you know what? I wanted to do another shout-out, or not a shout-out, but another um, call-out to the person that sent me the hand of fate. If you're listening, which I have to imagine you are, because you took the time to try and find my address. Please don't do that, everybody. I, I've moved since then. Um, but uh, to try and find the hand of fate uh, address, you, find, you took the time to find things and to send it to me, and you thought I would know what to do with it, which apparently I do because it's sitting right there. Um, but if you're still listening, email me. Reach out in any way, shape, or form. Email me and give me more information. Did the, uh, the events that were occurring when you discovered the hand of fate, are they still occurring in that farmhouse? Um, how, tell me any other info about the hand of fate. I really want to know more about it. And, uh, you know, I just don't. So if you're, if you are listening, if you're the person that sent me the hand of fate, what's her, what was her name? Laura? I think it was Laura. Um, L. L? Is it L? Hold on. Let me read it. What the hell was the name at the end of it? Hold on one second. Let's see. And Oh, it's yeah, just initial L. Uh, Dear Kurt, we found this under the dirt basement of a flooded farmhouse. As soon as it was unearthed, strange things started happening, including sounds, things moved, smells, and finally a fire. I hope you will know what to do with it. Signed, L. L, if you're listening. I, I'm sorry I, I gendered you as, as a woman. I don't know... That's, in, that's interesting. I've often just assumed it was a woman that sent it to me. Maybe it was the handwriting, but it's just an L. So I, I'm, if I've misgendered you, I apologize. But L, if you're listening, email me or call on a live show, but at the very least, email me because I want to know more about the hand of fate. Okay, that's out of the way. That's out of the way. Let's get right on into... Well. Alrighty, this is one that I've been wanting to watch the video. The first one is a video. Um, I've been wanting to watch this video since I saw the article about it. and I But I haven't, because as you know the rules, if there's a video for Paranormal News, I wait. Come here, Rum, you can come up on my lap. Come on up. Yeah, there you go. If there's a video in Paranormal News, I wait until Paranormal News to watch it. Good, bad, or otherwise. Some people hate the fact that I do it because it turns out to be nothing. Some people like the fact that I do it. Some people haven't told me what they thought. And some people I just don't care about. Um, but um, this first one, it's a video posted on YouTube. Uh, this paranormal channel called Hidden Underbelly. And I don't know why, but... Because I, I do a because I do a full you know ah, shut up lady I'm talking um you know if I you know I do a paranormal podcast so it, it does seem counterintuitive for me to say this next thing but I don't know why but if there is just a channel devoted to the paranormal I tend to uh, scrutinize those videos a bit more because it seems like they are just in it for the clicks just in it for the clicks like this one doesn't have a ton so maybe this one just hasn't caught on or. Maybe it's terrible. Let's find out. But 
It is a video. Uh, video appeared on the internet with no source or location. It is about a pair of pants, ghost pants. It just says ghost pants. So I want to watch it and, and see what the hell is it's about. So the video is about a little boy, looks like, and... It's truly bizarre. Okay. So let us have a look at the footage. Let us have a look at the footage. Sylvester Stallone runs this channel, apparently. Um, all right, so it's a bunny. It's a little bunny. It's a white bunny. It's actually not a little bunny. It's a big bunny. Oh, God, there's the ghost pants right out of the gate. Hold on. I got to start this over again. What? Start again. Okay. So it's a little kid and a bunny and like a dirt alley or dirt road. And the kid's just kind of watching the bunny. Play, damn it. Play. Okay. So it's bunny, it's dirt, bunny's hopping away. And then to the right out of nowhere, a pair, <laughs> a pair of pants go running by. Just a pair of pants. Nobody wearing the pair of pants. Uh, slacks, not for the for the UK listeners, not just underwear, but a pair of slacks go running by. Yeah, I mean it <laughs> it's so dumb. There is no way the person that was Filming the little boy with the bunny didn't notice a disembodied pair of slacks run by, but apparently that's that's what's happening. That's what I'm watching. But out of the far right corner, a pair of slacks just go running by with nobody wearing them. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's just dumb. Um, do I have an explanation for? No, I really don't. It's, it's a pair of, it's a pair of disembodied slacks. Um, all righty. I'm going to throw it up on the Facebook fan page and the Facebook page because there's a bunch of people saying, Hey, why you ignore the regular Facebook page? I don't. Here you go. There we go. That's put up on the fan page. And now for the Facebook page, because, again, I don't want anybody to feel like they're left out. Here here you go. How do I post on this? Maybe that's why I don't do it. It's a pain in the ass to post on. Um, seriously, how do I make a post on this fucking page? I would like to post, please. Oh, apparently I got to switch to to post. Okay. Well, that's why. See, look, there's extra steps. I can't, I can't be bothered with extra steps. And here you go. All righty. So now you know exactly the time that I was filming this episode and talking about ghost pants, ghost slacks. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it could be a puppet. It could be a little kid wearing a pair of slacks up over his head. I don't know, but it's hilarious and it's stupid and I love it. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, an Eastern Washington man records 180,000 UFO sightings, even if others debunk him. So there's this guy, let's see, guy named Peter Davenport, he's 74. It says seven days a week, he runs the National UFO Reporting Center, it's his 28th year, he has meticulously logged 180,000 reports since he took over for the site in 1994 from the late Bob Gribble. 
He explains why he keeps going. This is probably the most important scientific question ever to confront mankind. Are we alone in this galaxy or are we not? In my opinion, we are not alone. Hey, Kurt here. In my opinion, we're not alone. We are visited on a routine basis by things we call UFOs. I always forget to push that button and, I'm, I, you know, I wait. But this time I think I got the timing pretty right. Um, they say that his reports have just the facts, date, place, and what was observed. He said that the, his stories have been run in the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. He's never married, has no children, so his time is all his own. Oh, God, I'm looking into my future. I saw a darkish gray disc going in on the clouds. My wife and I saw a rectangular-shaped object, a large shadow moved over our house. These are just a sample of the reports that he has made. And he has made a lot of them. 180,000. This guy's kind of devoted his life to UFOs. So, you know what? Now's the time to do it, though. Because, like I said, disclosure's coming. We all know UFOs are real. Even skeptics are beginning to say it, finally. As soon as Neil deGrasse Tyson gets off his freaking high horse about fucking Maverick movies and Tom Cruise splattering when he's ejecting, when he accepts the fact that UFOs are real, then you're going to know that, all right, that's it. We win. We win. Skeptics, you lose. UFOs are real. That's the date I'm waiting for, and I know it's coming. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, I'm talking to you, pal. Throwing the gauntlet down. Get off your high horse. Look at things scientifically. Look at the facts. Look at the data scientifically. Because right now, you're just basing it on your own opinion that, nope, UFOs aren't real. Nope, they're not real. Nope, nope, nope. Which is just as bad as the people that dig in on, like, uh, you know, like other things that it's just true. It's just true. Well, there's facts that say otherwise. I don't care. It's just true. That's what you're doing right now, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Get off your high horse. UFOs are real. As soon as you admit it, Game over as far as I'm concerned. All righty, up next in paranormal news, is this company working with alien technology in Nevada? Radiance Technology has quietly become a major player in developing cutting-edge weapons and systems for the Pentagon. Pentagon? Sure, the Pentagon. It's called a Pentagon, Kurt. Come on! I'm trying to be professional. It's because I got too heated. I got too excited when I called out Neil deGrasse Tyson that I'm like, can't talk right now. It's It's Pentagon. And, and if, if if you're listening to this still, Neil, after being called out, and you go, this guy can't even say the word Pentagon. Why am I going to listen? No, I can say it. It just it was a mistake. People, you know, people make mistakes. Well, let's see. Tim Tinsley, president of Radiance, Radiance Technology, says, oh, I'm sorry. If someone possessed a UFO and asked scientists from Radi Radiance to take it apart to figure out how it works, would they take that contract? Well, Tim Tinsley says, yep, why not? I'm waiting for one of those. It says, whether we're in Las Vegas or San Antonio, Dayton, Ohio, or Huntsville, it doesn't matter. The idea is that we have a core set of values that run through the company. We have cutting-edge technology. They said uh, they've just hinted at involvement in exotic defense, defense technologies, including direct energy weapons, hypersonic missiles, and systems to defend against cyber warfare, warfare, amongst other projects. But what is happening at Nellis Air Force Base? He says, well... I can't tell you a lot. I can tell you is we supported the Las Vegas community, Nellis Air Force Base, for over 20 years, and what we're doing, I can't talk about. So, is he? Why, why would you think that? Uh, oh, here we go. This is why. When Radiance Technology announced the hiring of two veterans of UFO research, 
The news releases didn't didn't hide the connection, pointing pointedly mentioning their UFO credentials. But is the company worried about the perception they might be reverse engineering UFOs? No, we provide customer solutions. Whenever our customers want want us to work on and support, that's what we do, and that's what we'll get to do. Okay, that's why. So they've hired a couple of guys that have connection to UFO research, and now everybody's going, uh oh, uh oh, they've got UFOs. And you know what? They probably do. That's it's probably not very shocking. Okay, up next in paranormal news. Official looking Bigfoot warnings dot Pennsylvania state parks. But who put them there? That's right. This has been sent to me a couple of times with people going, ah, ah it's proof of Bigfoot, Kurt. Look, there you go. Unfortunately, they're not real. It says Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Warning. Due to encounters in the area of a creature resembling Bigfoot, we're instructing all park visitors to observe elevated park etiquette. Be cautious of your surroundings and to keep the location of any small children and pets within a tighter scope of awareness. Do not approach the creature. Report any sightings to a ranger, front office, or to the DCNR Office of Missing Persons. Sadly, though, these signs were not posted by the DCNR. Agency spokesperson Wesley Robinson wrote in a statement to the Inquirer. He added, Bigfoot is not real. Oh, that's not true. Um, look, you didn't have to add that. You could have just said, no, we didn't post those, and then, then be done with it. But, uh, yeah, all those people are like, oh, God, they finally are admitting that Bigfoot are real. Sadly, they are not. All righty, up next in paranormal news. No idea what you're talking about. Scott's react to solved Loch Ness Monster mystery. Not a monster. A woman believes she has solved the Loch Ness Monster. Not a monster mystery. We want to hear your thoughts. A woman from Australia says that she has solved the Loch Ness, solved the mystery of Nessie. And she says, I know exactly what Nessie is. After seeing the iconic 1934 image, we all know that. Let's go. Let's get to this lady. What do you think about Sue's theory? It says. What, what is Sue's theory? Sue's theory that the famous picture is just an arm. Ah, I get it. So the infamous photo, also the only photo that is known to be a hoax of Nessie. It was a little um, thing that was put on a toy submarine. It was a known hoax. The only photo that is a known hoax. Sue says that famous picture is just an arm. No, it wasn't. It's it's a known hoax, Sue. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, one person actually wrote, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then another one says, hey, guess what? The men responsible for this hoax in 1934 admitted to it and shown how it was done. Sorry, it was solved years ago. So Nessie expert Kurt Sandvig from Paranormal Almanac said, Sue, just shut the fuck up. Just, just shut up, Sue. Not not any not any paramaniacs or listeners, Sue. I'm just talking about this one lady, Sue, who doesn't know what she's talking about. How did Sue get in the look, this is what I'm not getting here. How did Sue get all over the internet this week about I know what Nessie is? And everybody was just like, whoa, we gotta post that about that. And yet nobody's posting that, hey, there's a there's a podcast, a, a top one hundred podcast that discusses Nessie virtually weekly. Every week, just about, 
they discuss Nessie in some way, shape, or form. Let's go to him and see if he knows what it's about. How is Sue getting better pressed than me is what I'm saying. All righty. Oh, now I'm getting aggro. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with a more calmed down Kurt. Ah, it's good cider. We are back. It's not alcoholic in case you guys are like, oh, Kurt's drinking again. No, no, just it's apple cider. I love myself with some good apple cider. Growing up in Michigan, there's a place called Yates Cider Mill. For all my paramaniacs in Michigan, go over to Yates right now and, and get yourself some cider. It is the best cider and the best donuts you will ever have in your life. I miss it dearly. They ship, they can ship it, but it's so flipping expensive. It's like 50 bucks for like a gallon of cider and a and a dozen donuts. And and there might come a day where I'm so desperate for a good cider and donuts that that I might do it. Little side note, I, I, I'm going to go take you off on a little journey. Um, I had a Friday off a couple of weeks ago and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm fucking doing it. I'm finally going to get cider and donuts from this cider mill, like two hours away from me. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to drive two hours. I'm going to get a cider and donut. It's going to be the best thing ever. I checked on their website. They're open. That's perfect because there was like mudslides and shit that had happened. So I was like, I'm going to make sure that they're open. They're open. I went to their Facebook page and it says, hey, we're open. Come and visit us. And we feel sorry that the restaurant nearby got wiped out for the mudslides, but we're still here. Oh, my God. So excited. I drive all the way there. Two hours. I get within five miles of the place and the roads are closed. And they're like, nope, sorry, cider mill's closed. Turn around and go home. Oh, it was so deflating. I was like, yeah, I was just, I was a defeated man that couldn't even get cider and donuts. But anyhow, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not talking here. This isn't the episode, let's talk about cider and Kurt's experiences with cider. But seriously, go to Yates. You'll love it. Uh, let's. This episode is about cursed movies. Or, as you'll hear, more like haunted movies. But I got to say, cursed movies just sounds better as a title for an episode. Like, you know, Paranormal Almanac episode, whatever it is, 203, Haunted Movies. You're going to think, like, oh, he's just talking about ghost movies or, or scary movies. No, no, no. Cursed movies. It just sounds better as a title. So I was like, yep, I'm going with that. And yes, Poltergeist is a cursed movie as far as I'm concerned. 100%. But I've talked about my irrational fear of that movie and its curses on previous episodes. So let's just all agree that F that movie and that clown. We're not going to talk about it on this episode. And let's focus on some other cursed movies. Now, going into this episode, I knew I wanted to do this episode for Halloween or Halloween season. I knew about some of these curses, but I will admit I didn't know about all of them. And I'm really hoping that you don't know about all of them either, because that makes for a more fun episode when you don't know what's coming. So how to begin with this one? I tried to decide if I wanted to do these in the order the movies came out or just randomly. So I flipped a coin and it came up Zozo. So I figured random it is. Oh, by the way, you really should get yourself a Zozo coin. It helps out in a lot of situations. If you're like, should I go out tonight or not? Flip the coin, it comes up Zozo. Oh, you got to go out. There, there's something fun that's going to happen. Uh, so this first one. This first one is one of my favorite movies. This is a movie that I watch 
every year. I can I can only think of like a handful of movies that I have to watch every year. Actually, not even a handful. I can only think of two off the top of my head. There's two movies off the top of my head that I have to watch every year. One, around Halloween, and that's Rocky Horror Picture Show. Love it. It's a, it's a staple. I have to watch it every year. The other one, this one, I always have to watch around July 4th. And it's Jaws. That's right. One of the best movies every year. And you know what? Another side note. Let me take you on another Kurt adventure. This is the only fun fact. The one and only time that I have ever actually swam in the Pacific Ocean was to watch this movie. That's right. A few years ago, they had this event where you could watch Jaws while on a floaty in the ocean. And so myself and uh, the Lauren half of the Lauren and Phil Mangano patrons uh, and a couple of our friends decided, you know what, we got to do this. And I, and even though I don't don't particularly like the ocean, the Pacific Ocean is very cold. You didn't know this. It's a very cold ocean and, and, and just filled with things that want to kill Kurt. So I was like, eh, I'm not too crazy about this, but all right, I got to see Jaws while floating in the ocean. There's just something about that that adds to that, you know, the, the next level enjoyment of Jaws. So we go down there. I, I inflate my floaty and I go out. They have like a little harbor kind of area that's kind of roped off, but not really. You can float off into the distance if you really wanted to. And I did a little bit, but I'll get, I'm jumping ahead. I, and I got out in the ocean and I just sat in my floaty my feet dangling over the edge into the water. They are setting up the screen. Nighttime hits. The movie Jaws starts. And 10,000 people just come out into that little harbor. I still had a good viewing spot, but it was literally like, I was like, you know, like I, we were all tube to tube, floaty to floaty. There was no ocean underneath it, which was kind of comforting, but on the other side of it, all I could think of is, oh yeah, we're a smorgasbord. We are, we are the golden corral of, of people for a, for a shark right now. And it's going to, I'm going to make the news. Like, you know, there's going to be like random paranormal podcast host died on the ocean with 10,000 other idiots who are all sitting around splashing while watching Jaws probably in just a piss-filled harbor by that point because people were drunk and drinking, and, and you know they're just peeing into that harbor. So I was just floating around in pee in a floaty. Um, that's all. That was all that was going through my mind. Just so much to the point where I was like, I can't do this. This isn't the experience I wanted. I wanted to be away from humans in the ocean, maybe just a touch too far out watching Jaws on the big screen. So that's what I did. I actually weaseled my way out of the crowd back and back and back, farther and farther, farther out into the harbor. And I watched a good majority of Jaws from out there until the point where it was just too cold. And I was probably just, you know, like in my own mind, just a little bit too freaked out that now I am, you know, I am a Jaws victim just waiting to happen. And maybe I should get the hell out of the water. Uh, but it was a crazy cool time. I wish they didn't sell it out as much as they did. If there was only half the people there, I think it would have, it would have been a better time. But... Boy, it was awesome. Anyhow, let's get back to when Jaws was filming, though. The year 1974. Shortly after Jaws had finished filming, 
a woman's body was discovered on a beach near Provincetown, Maryland, or Massachusetts. Provincetown, Massachusetts. And I'm sure since it's Massachusetts, it's probably pronounced Provincetown, Massachusetts. Uh, she was murdered. Now, here's some of the details of her as she was found. The victim was laid face down on half of a beach blanket. There was no sign of struggle. Police theorized that she either knew her killer or had been asleep when she died. A blue bandana and a pair of Wrangler jeans were under her head. She had long auburn or red hair pulled back into a ponytail by a gold-flecked elastic band. Her toenails were painted pink. Police determined the woman was approximately 5 foot 6 inches tall, uh, weighed 145 pounds, had an athletic build. She also had dental work, including crowns worth five to $10,000, which dentists called the New York style of dental work. Several of her teeth had been removed by the killer. Both hands and one forearm were missing, and she was killed by decapitation. Grizzly. Now, no one has ever been caught to this day. Her identity is a mystery, too. So, like, to this day, no one knows who she is. No killers ever come forward. No one has ever filed a missing person report for anyone that matched her description. That's the part that I think is really odd. Also, again, same with the last episode. Are you telling me with DNA technology that nobody has matched her DNA yet? There's got, that's astounding to me. All right, but then cut to 2015. Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King, was watching Jaws and he noticed an extra that matched the police sketches of an unidentified woman, of this woman. They call her the Lady of the Dunes, the woman that they found. He even noticed that she was wearing the same blue jeans and bandana found with her. And where they filmed Jaws was only 100 miles from where she was found, which sounds like a, you know quite a distance, but actually wasn't too far away. Now, once again, the Lady of the Dunes, as the body found is called, is still a mystery. And sadly, the records that studios make extras sign weren't kept for this long. So there's really no way to know that if the woman that's actually seen on screen in Jaws is this murder victim, the Lady of the Dunes. Are we actually looking at a woman who just shortly after the filming of it would be murdered? Crazy cool, not exactly a cursed movie, just a possible murder victim in a movie, but we're going to keep on moving on. Not even haunting, really. We're going to keep on moving on to the next one. The next one is The Curse of the Movie Titanic. This one blew me away. I had no idea. Do you guys know The Curse of the Movie Titanic? Did you know that 85 years before the movie was filmed, a ship called the Titanic sank the exact same way. What are the odds? No, actually, uh, actually, the curse is about a meal that happened during the filming of Titanic. All right, for this one, we go to rural Nova Scotia. And a detail you'll need in a minute. The closest hospital to the set only had one doctor and one nurse on staff. Okay, during the meal break, it was an overnight shoot getting close to the end of the shoot up in Canada before they went down to Mexico to film the rest of it. During the meal break on set, 75 staff members were served clam chowder for dinner, including Bill Paxton and James Cameron. And you might be saying, oh, where the hell was Leo and uh, Kate? Well, they had the night off, so I don't think what you're about to hear was them, but we don't know. It's a mystery, so it might be. Okay, so... They were all fed this fantastic clam chowder. 
And they ate and was so good. They had seconds and thirds. Then, one by one, they all started to feel sick. And they all, saw, they all assumed, oh, my God, bad, bad, clam, bad clams. That's right. Bad clams is the reason. No, bad clams, but no. So all 75 were sent to the understaffed for this event hospital where they were treated for an unknown illness. Then the mystery really happens or really kicks off when forensic testing determined someone had spiked the whole pot of clam chowder with an entire pound of PCP. That's right. The entire crew were doped with PCP clam chowder. All right, here's an interview. I'll read you a a snippet of an interview with someone on the crew that actually was there that night. How crazy is this? PCP clam chowder? If you were to guess, like, hey, what's the weirdest thing that happened during the filming of Titanic? And you said, oh, uh, let me guess. I don't know. Is it PCP clam chowder? That's a good guess because that's what it was. All right, so Marilyn McAvoy... Uh, A standby painter on the set, she used her background in fine arts to paint forgeries, illustrate Jack's sketchbook, and age props, says, uh, what happened with that? And they said, she said, well, the chowder was unbelievable. People were going back for second bowls. I really thought about going back because it was so good. So, you know, Kurt here, side fact, um, if you want to know how to make a really, really good clam chowder, apparently the secret recipe is a pound of PCP. Uh, let's see. See, I really thought it was good. I was so good. Um, I think that was part of the problem. People ate a lot more than usual because it was so delicious. They said, do you remember anything else from that night? She said, there was no indication that there was anything strange happening until the meal. By the time we got back from eating, after about 30 minutes, that's when I started noticing something was wrong. Everyone seemed confused. Everyone was having trouble getting their work done. They asked, uh, what were you doing at the time? I needed some stuff upstairs as well as some other equipment down in another area. And I remember just walking around trying to figure out the best way to get my supplies. Things just seemed fuzzy. They asked, how did the rest of the crew react? And she said, well, I was trying to figure out what was going on. Everyone else seemed to be outside. They were all gathering around outside of the giant doors of the building we were working on. I also heard later on that as soon as James Cameron realized something had been put in the chowder, he ran up to his room and forced himself to throw up. They said, "Uh, when did everyone realize what had happened? She said it was actually kind of comical. It was like that game kids play Red Rover. There were the people that were okay, who hadn't gotten any effects yet, and the people that were getting high. And then there was two lines apart from each other with some people in the good line slowly trickling into the bad line. It was about this point that people realized that everyone who had eaten the chowder was experiencing the effects of some sort of hallucinogen. And they said, "Uh, so what happened next? She goes, well, the crew vans came and picked up everybody and took us to the Dartmouth General Hospital. En masse, we went through these hospital doors at 1 a.m. in the morning. They did not know what to do with us. It became pretty chaotic. Some people were having a really hard time. I think maybe the people who had more experience with drugs were having flashbacks and bad trips. They asked, well, how did it affect you? She said, for me, the whole situation was pretty surreal. But in terms of effects, it was kind of a combination of being high on marijuana and being drunk. I was functioning. I was reading magazines. It was like a dream. Um, Let's see. When it started happening, I was pretty scared because I had no experience to base this high on. We didn't know what had been spiked with, because, but because it was such an unexpected thing to have happened, I didn't have time at the moment to fully take in how dangerous something like this could have been. She said, we were there all night. 
Eventually, we get to put in. We all got put in these cubicles with curtains around us, but nobody wanted to stay in their cubicles. People, everyone was out in the aisles, jumping into other people's cubicles. People had a lot of energy. Some were in wheelchairs, just flying down the hallways. I mean, everyone was high. So they gave us this drink that had charcoal in it to remove the toxins. By sunup, we all started to come down. People were playing hacky sack. Everybody just really wanted to get home. Let's see. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. She said it was really bizarre. And, uh, you know, apparently some goddamn good clam chowder with PCP in it. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Again, I wouldn't really call this one a curse or a haunting. It just seems like there was some kind of disgruntled person who decided to waste a pound of PCP uh, on some clam chowder. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. Let's see. What paranormal news? What are you talking about, Kurt? What are you? What is that? Apple cider spiked with PCP. Up next in this episode, in this edition. How about the freaking exorcist? Let's talk about that. Let's get into an actual curse. All right. During the filming of the exorcist, multiple people were injured and nine people even died. Two actors, Jack McGowan and, oh, I even practiced this name and it already, Vasiliki Maleros, I think, I'm sorry. Both of them died before the film was ever released. Interestingly, both characters also lost their lives in the film. That's kind of spooky. Off to a curse. Finally off to a good curse in this episode. Two of the main actors even kind of sort of broke their backs. First, Linda Blair. They said that the injury occurred in a scene where Regan was in the throes of her demonic possession. She thrashes, she's thrashing about with the help of a rig that kept her tied to the moving bed. But in one of the takes, the lacing came undone And she said in an interview years later, she said, I'm crying, I'm screaming, they think I'm acting up a storm. It fractured my lower spine. No, they didn't send me to the doctor. And it's the footage that's in the movie. Then, Ellen Burstyn, who plays Chris McNeil, the mother of Regan, suffered a permanent spinal injury when filming. Because in this scene, Chris is being thrown around the room by her possessed daughter It was executed through the use of a harness, but in this particular uh, take, the harness jerked her violently and she fell hard hard on her coccyx and injured herself. Guess what they used? They used that that take for the film as well. So you can actually watch two people, two of the main actors get pretty seriously injured in the film The Exorcist. Curse Curse enough for you? Cursed enough for you? That's hard to say. Cursed enough for you? No? All right, well, let's keep going. Staying with The Exorcist. This set had all kinds of freak accidents that caused multiple delays of the filming, including the home being used for the set burnt entirely to the ground except for one room. Yep, the room where the exorcism scene took place. The crew even brought in a priest to the set to kind of bless it. At first, the priest was like, hell no, I'm not doing this. Um, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure the priest didn't say hell no. But, you know, they were like, hey, can you come and bless this? And the priest was like, nah, no, thank you. And then they started telling, you know, the priest about some of the stuff that was happening on the set and what the movie was about. And the priest was like, oh, yeah, we better bless it. Now, director William Friedkin saw a pigeon fly into a circuit box and promptly catch fire. That's 
pretty freaky. I, I don't want to ever see that. Then, one audience member actually sued Warner Brothers after he passed out during a screening, fell out of his chair, and broke his jaw. Listen, dude. If the watch, if watching the movie Exorcist scared you so much that you fainted, you don't sue the studio. You slink away with your broken jaw in hand, go to a hospital, and make up a way better story than that. You tell them, like, you know, I was walking down the street, and then these six guys were mugging an elderly woman, this tiny elderly woman. She was in a wheelchair, and they were mugging her. And I, I fought them all off, and, and I, you know, she, I, I, I rolled her back home, and she's fine now. I, and she wanted to give me, like, five bucks for my trouble. I said, no, you keep it, Granny. You deserve it. You know, like, that's the story you make up. You don't go, well, fuck this. I'm suing Warner Brothers. I was watching the movie. I got so scared. I fainted. And after I fainted, I fell out of my chair. And then I broke my jaw. No. You live with that. You live with that. All righty. Then there were reports by the Washington Post in early 1974 of heart attacks around the world spiking whenever the film premiered and lightning bolts targeting a screening in Italy. So... Yeah, great movie, but I wouldn't have wanted to work on it or I was going to say or see it in a, in one of these test audiences, but I I would want to be in that test audience. That's a story that you can tell forever. Uh, let's see. Next to The Exorcist, this next one is the scariest film on this episode. This movie is the horrific story of a ghost inhabiting the body of Whoopi Goldberg so he can make out with his wife. That's right, I'm talking about Ghost, starring Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, and Whoopi. And this one is about a ghost in Ghost. That's right, Ghostception time. So get this. The movie Ghost was haunted by a girl from the damn movie I said I wasn't going to talk about on this episode. That's right. Heather O'Rourke, the little girl from Poltergeist. It said she haunted the the set of the film Ghost. I was going to say she haunted the movie Ghost, but it's more like she haunted the set of the movie Ghost. Because many of the cast and crew to this day say... The set of Ghost was haunted by Carol Ann herself, Heather O'Rourke. Now, she had died a few months before the filming of Ghost started, but you might be asking, all right, well, why is she haunting this set? Well, they think it's because before she was in the movie Poltergeist, she was on Happy Days. Yep, news to me too. So here we go from the Happy Days official wiki. Heather O'Rourke played the recurring role of Heather Feister, the seven-year-old daughter of Ashley Feister, a divorcee who was Fonzie's steady girlfriend in season 10 of Happy Days. She appeared in five episodes that season. All right, well, I guess it's true. The little girl from Poltergeist was also in Happy Days, which... So, I guess the curse of Poltergeist really stuck to Poltergeist. It didn't go through, like, it wasn't always following her around, because... I don't think there's really a curse of happy days, is there? I got to look into it. See if there's a curse from happy days, Kurt. Reminder. Alrighty, so Ghost was filmed on Soundstage 19 
which was the same soundstage as Happy Days. And cast and crew reported hearing, reportedly heard, oh, reported hearing a child laughing and running footsteps, whatever you want to call it, up in the catwalks as well. Now, the crew said it was well known that Heather used to love to play in the catwalks. Uh, all right, Kurt here. In my opinion only, that's connecting a lot of dots that really aren't there. Now, if they saw her, if they were like, holy shit, that's the girl from Poltergeist, that's her ghost, then sure, there was a ghost on set. But just hearing a child laughing, that's spooky. Okay, so there's a ghost child on stage 19. There's a lot of sound stages in Hollywood that are haunted or said to be haunted. So that's not exactly the most like outrageous thing ever, but you know... You could say, look, there was a, we heard a ghost child on stage 19 and we heard footsteps in the catwalks. And that's why we think the movie ghost was, you know, there was a, there was a ghost on the soundstage when we were filming. Sure. I can totally get behind that, but it doesn't really mean it was her. Like I said, there was no, no one ever saw her running around or laughing or pointing at TV saying they're here or anything like that, but uh, still really weird. Probably the second weirdest thing to happen in that movie ghost. But uh, all right, let's move on to a 1956 film that is outdated as hell. It's called the conqueror starring John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Yeah. John Wayne as Genghis Khan. All right. Now get this. The film was shot near St. George, Utah, which is 137 miles downwind from U.S. government's Nevada National Security Site, where, in case you don't know, 11 nuclear weapons, nuclear weapon tests occurred in 1953. That's right. They basically dropped the bomb 11 times in this area and 137 miles downwind, directly downwind. Two years later, or three years later. No, no, because the movie came out in 56. It was probably filmed in 54 or 55. So let's say one to two years later, they're filming on this site. Guess what? Dozens of crew members eventually die of cancer. Are you, are you telling me you couldn't find any other place to make your racist John Wayne film? You had to choose this site? All right, so it says dozens. I had to look into it because I don't like that, you know, when anything says, you know, and dozens of people were hurt. All right, how, what does that mean? Does that mean 13 people, 24 people? Well, for this movie, 220 crew members of the film total. 91 developed cancer during their lifetimes with 46 dying from it. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much cause and effect. It's not like, you know, the Heather O'Rourke, we heard a kid, so it must be her. No, we filmed where 11 bombs, nukes, went off. And because of it, or downwind from that, and because of it, 91 of the crew members get cancer, 46 die from it out of a total of 220. I looked into it a little bit more. Because I thought it was really bizarre. And it turns out that producer Howard Hughes felt so guilty about the sicknesses and the deaths that he bought every print of the film for $12 million 
and kept it out of circulation for many, many years because of his guilt. That's crazy. I mean, Howard Hughes was crazy, but <clears throat> I just mean the whole story is crazy. <clears throat> oh. All righty, moving on to Insidious. This next one is quick one. Actually, the next few, I think, are, are pretty quick. But uh, this one, Insidious. This one was filmed, well, it took place in Insidious's hospital set, which, in case you didn't know, was filmed at the very haunted and one of the top places that Kurt wants to investigate at. Like, this is one of my top paranormal investigation places. The filming of the hospital set for Insidious was at Linda Vista Hospital. And in case you don't know it, Linda Vista Hospital is insanely haunted. Like on the West Coast, it's like the place you kind of want to go to. Now, numerous members of the film's cast and crew complained, I almost said claimed, claimed, complained about feeling unwell whenever they stepped foot onto set. There was also claims that a buzzer from an unoccupied, unoccupied, oh, what is happening right now? I was doing so well. And then the curse of the movie episode started to curse me. We're going to try this one again. Nope. Let's try this again, Kurt. All right, moving on to Insidious. Now, this is a quick one. The next few are going to be quick, Kurt. Though it took place on Insidious's hospital set, which was filmed at the Very Haunted and one of Kurt's top places that he wants to paranormal investigate, Linda Vista Hospital. Numerous members of the film's cast and crew complained about feeling unwell whenever they stepped foot onto set. There was also claims that a buzzer from an unoccupied floor of the building would continually go off with no one being down there. Now, Linda Vista Hospital is known for cries in the night and unexplained humming. Many have claimed to be touched and pushed there too, and it's famous for three ghosts in particular. There's lots of ghosts, but three in particular. A little girl that lurks in the surgical room, a young woman that paces the hallways of the third floor, and the spirit of an orderly that still makes his daily rounds. Boom! Yes! Nailed it! Moving on! Keep the uh, crap in that I of me messing up just to show you how live this one really is. But, uh, whew, on a personal level, I was starting to worry about myself. All righty, let's keep moving on. Uh, lots to get to. Here's a couple more quick ones. 2005, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Jennifer Carpenter said her radio would turn on at random times during the middle of the night while she was, you know, filming the movie. And the director, Scott Derrickson, he was like, I witnessed it happen not only to Jennifer Carpenter, but also to Laura Linney when she was filming the movie as well. He said, this is true. Also, Laura Linney's radio turned on at night three times during the production. All right, moving on to the next one. Annabelle Comes Home. Star McKenna Grace talked about her experiences shooting the film, which included doors opening and closing, shadow figures that she spotted on location. She said... When all of us were on set together for the first time, the lights went out, and we were all freaking out and asking, Annabelle, are you here? Then the lights turned back on, and my nose was bleeding so heavily. It happens sometimes because of allergies, but not this heavy. As soon as I left, to, uh, left set to get a tissue, it stopped. Now, production notes also state that a piano bench moved around without explanation, 
and that while visiting the set, a journalist's watch went haywire, skipping hours ahead. That's cool. I like that one. All right, uh, 2011's The The Innkeepers, which is a movie I've never heard of. I really haven't, but all right. Apparently, there's a movie called The Innkeepers. came out in 2011. A lot of the cast and crew experienced paranormal activity, like lights switching on and off for no reason, doors swinging open and shut. They even received phone calls that, when they answered, would have nobody on the other end. Now, the, the hotel where the film was shot is called the Yankee Peddler Inn in Connecticut, and I looked into it, and it actually is a known haunted hotel. So, curse? Not really. Haunted? Mm, kinda. All right, the next is The Nun from 2018. Corin Hardy, who directed it, says he saw two men in a room that he was filming in a castle in Romania. He said they walked into the room... After completing the take, he turned to the men, assuming them to be, you know, crew members or whatever, and they were gone. He said they would have had to have passed him to leave the room, but never did. Alrighty, this next one. I, it was a judgment call. Do I do I throw this into this episode or do I, you know, leave it for some random episode later on? But I was like, no, this one, it's not a movie, but it's just so dumb that I had to add it. You know the TV show Everyone Loves Everyone Loves Raymond? Everybody? Every what is it? Everybody loves Raymond or everyone loves Raymond? Ah, Mandela, you figure it out. Uh it's everybody. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. So you all right, so you know the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond? Well, there was a kid. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna go to the YouTube video. Uh, I want you to I want the kid to explain it to you. I want you to enjoy it the way that I enjoyed it. Uh, hold on. I got to start it back over, turn it back up. All right. Enjoy what this kid's discovery. An ordinary ah, shut up. Shut up. Me and my brother were just watching an ordinary episode of I Love Raymond. Ooh. Of everyone who loves Raymond, whatever. When all of a sudden, we caught some subliminal messages. Here's one. Look closely in the win window. <laughs> it's a freaking ghost. What the hell is that? And later, we saw a freaking devil. I don't even know where he's talking about in this one. Oh, and that's it. Uh, it's so quick. It's so amazing that this kid is just so adamant. And it's honestly, yeah, wait till you see it. I'm going to post it up on both uh, Facebook pages. It's seriously the worst footage ever put on YouTube of like him filming the TV. Um, it was filmed like with a potato. I mean, it's terrible, but frankly, I don't want to watch all of I love Raymond to find the scenes. So, yep, sure. There's a ghost. And then apparently there's the devil. All I can see in the second one is Doris Roberts of everybody loves Raymond, not I love Raymond and not everyone loves Raymond, Kurt. Um, I, I just see Doris Roberts, but then the kid's like so adamant while like recording this YouTube video is like, yep, and there's the devil. So I don't know, maybe Doris Roberts is the devil. Look, I've never looked into, I've never Googled. I'm going to do it right now for you guys. I'm going to Google right now is Doris Roberts, the devil. Okay. The only thing that comes up to, you know, when you Google, is Doris Roberts the devil? Here's what you get. The first one, fact check. Did Johnny Depp, actually it says Johnny Deep. 
Fact check. Did Johnny Deep shock New Yorkers in Hudson? Okay. Next one, Maury Wills dies. Some Dodger guy. Third one, Doris Roberts, everybody loves Raymond, dies. And then the last one is shake the hands of the devil. So as far as Google is concerned, Doris Roberts is not the devil. And if it's good enough for Google, maybe I'll ask, you know, I'll do like Ask Jeeves or Bing after the episode. But if it's Google, it's good enough for Google. It's good enough for Kurt. I've often said that. All right, speaking of the devil, speaking of Doris Roberts, let's go on to the devil in Rosemary's Baby. In case you don't know, Rosemary's Baby. Um, Mia Farrow stars in it. She has the devil's baby. Um, the first one that kind of happened, it happened after the movie. Uh, but the first one is Sharon Tate, who is Roman Polanski's wife. Spoiler, she was murdered. Uh, she auditioned repeatedly for the role of Rosemary, which ended up going to Mia Farrow. Uh, but Sharon Tate makes a background appearance in the movie. I didn't know that. And uh, like I said, when the film was still in theaters, uh, Sharon Tate was killed in her home by the followers of Charles Manson, just down the street from David Oman's house. Or part of the land from David Oman's house. But, oh, and by the way, that house is still for sale. So if you want to, if you want to site, uh, if you want to buy the house, which is built on the site of... Um, you know, the Tate LaBianca murders, and I think is owned, is it owned by the Full House guy? I think it might be the Full House guy. Yeah, it is. He's owned by the Full House guy. Not by, I thought it for a second. I was like, oh my God, is it owned by the the guy that produced Everybody Loves Raymond? Because there's your connection to Doris Robert being the devil. But no, it's, it's the Full House guy. But that house is still for sale. It's like $65 million. You could own the biggest house on a hill that I've ever seen in real life. And, um, you know, it's the site of the... Tate LaBianca murders. So if that's something that you're into, and you can be, you know, neighbors with David Oman, uh, that house is still for sale. But, so uh, Sharon Tate, she was murdered while the movie was still in theaters. First connection to the possible curse. At a party, the film's composer, Christoph, Christoph Komeda, or Komeda, he fell off a uh, rocky slope and into a coma. And sadly, he never recovered from the coma. And it says that it was similar to the actions that the witches take in the book Rosemary's Baby to get rid of Rosemary's friend. Now, Rosemary's Baby producer William Castle was convinced that the film was cursed. After its release, he was hospitalized with kidney stones, and after experiencing hallucinations during his near-death experience with kidney stones, he said that that he saw the film's lead character approaching him with a knife. Eh. Look, sad, spooky, weird. I'll I'll throw it up there. It's not the it's not the worst one on this list. All right, so this next one, it cheats a little bit because it's about all of the movies, but it's about the Amityville horror. First, when James Brolin read the script at his house, he got to the scary part of the script and a loud noise came from inside his closet, which startled him. Hmm. Very weak beginning to a curse as far as I'm concerned. Let's keep going, see if it gets any better. For the 2005 remake, Kathy Lutz, the originator of the story, died at just 50 years old one week into the shooting. Then, a dead body washed up on shore near the set. Okay, that's creepier. Then, cast and crew members started waking up at 3.15 a.m., which was the time that DeFeo committed the murders, the real murders, that is. Then, 
Ryan Reynolds, who starred in the remake, he even said there was some weird stuff that happened. And a lot of people say, see, that's proof of the curse. I'm going to say that's the weakest curse ever. I was reading one night and I heard a noise from my closet and it scared me. Boo. Come up with a better curse, Amityville Horror. You're better than that. All righty, this next one is from a film called The Return to Babylon in 2013. And I'm, I'm going to call BS on it at the beginning, or let's at least grain assault it, because, come on. Director Alex Monty, ooh, Kanawati, Kanawati, I don't know. He used an old school camera with black and white film that he said he mysteriously found in a bag. That's right. According to Alex, he and his producer discovered 19 rolls of 16-millimeter film, like vintage old film, abandoned on Hollywood Boulevard on the sidewalk one afternoon. So they were like, whoa, that's kind of cool, and they took it home, and they began writing a movie that would use the found old black-and-white film, and it became Return to Babylon. Uh, The entire movie was filmed on an original hand crank camera and focused on the scandals of some of the 1920s most famous movie stars. He said, when he watched back what he shot on that film, he saw the lead character's faces morph into demonic-looking creatures. He said that um, there was like weird, grotesque changes to the actors. Their hands appeared stretched. Their mouths twisted in agony. Their faces hideously distorted. He said entities appeared out of thin air and disappeared completely, none of which were present on the set when the movie was being filmed. Now, actors and actresses of the film said that they felt otherworldly, oppressive entities lurking about, and in some cases, many of the the crew members themselves claimed to have been reached out and grabbed by unseen hands a lot. So, one person said that the... Film running at 16 frames per second with digital video running at 24 frames per second may have caused the strange apparitions that were on the the negatives, but no one really knows what caused them if they were indeed not made, you know, post-production, you know, digital effects or anything like that, which he said, Alex said, we didn't have the budget for this kind of stuff. It was just whatever we got on film was weird and otherworldly, and we didn't have to add any digital effects. Mm. Again, I have no proof of this, but me personally, I think this was, I think it was great publicity to help a small budget film, but it kind of never caught on like, you know, like, like the Blair Witch, you know, like the Blair Witch probably wouldn't have been as big if they didn't do that underground, like found footage. This is a real movie. This is like a documentary kind of a way. And I think he was trying to cash in on something like that. Like, oh, my God, we found these 19 rolls of really old 16-millimeter film just abandoned on Hollywood Boulevard. And then when I used them, these ghosts all appeared. It's a, it was a great gimmick, but it, I, and me, again, it's all me saying this. I don't have any proof of it, but it sounds to me like it was a great gimmick that just never paid off. All right, we've talked about the devil a little bit. How about give God some of his time on this edition? It's time for the Passion of the Christ. That's right. Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus. Caviezel? Sure. Uh, Played Jesus, suffered numerous injuries during the production, including being struck by lightning. Witnesses said they actually saw smoke rising from his head. 
He also dislocated his shoulder while carrying the crucifix and having a portion of his flesh ripped off while being fake whipped. The film's assistant director, Jan Michelini, was also struck by lightning twice on set. No one stand by that AD ever. Uh, John Debney, who wrote the score, called the job the most difficult assignment of his life and claims he closely felt the presence of Satan in his studio while working on the film. The film's release also brought uh, like a bunch of tragedies. On the movie's opening day, actor Carl Anderson, who played Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar, died from leukemia. The film's Kansas advertising sales manager, Peggy Scott, passed away after suffering heart failure during the film's brutal crucifixion scene. Look, it, it, was, a, it was a fucked up movie about uh, Jesus that uh, Mel Gibson was involved in. But, uh, all right, enough with that. Let's go back to the devil. The omen not to be outdone by God and his lightning strikes. All righty, so we had, how many lightning strikes do we have on, on for God's little movie there? We had uh, three, that's right. We had, we had Jim, who played Jesus. He got struck by lightning, smoke from his head. Film assistant director, Jan, who you never want to stand by on set, was struck by lightning twice. So we got three for God. Let's move on to the omen. Executive Bob Munger, who pitched the original story, warned the producers about the dangers of making this film. He said, if the devil's greatest single weapon is to be invisible and you're going to do something which is going to take away his invisibility to millions of people, he's not going to want that to happen. During production, lead actor Gregory Peck's son died of suicide. That's terrible. And if that wasn't bad enough for a curse, Gregory Peck's plane was struck by lightning when he was flying to London while shooting. That's one. Mark Newfield, one of the film's executives, also said his plane was struck by lightning when flying to L.A. That's two. Screenwriter David Seltzer was just barely missed by a lightning strike in Rome. Ooh, so close. That's God's lightning strikes. Three, the devil just barely missing that last one with a final score of two. Uh, let's keep going on with the omen, though. An animal handler at Windsor Safari Park was mauled and killed after filming there wrapped. Special effects designer John Richardson was driving with his assistant Liz Moore in Holland while working on their next film, A Bridge Too Far, before The Omen came out when his car crashed. Liz Moore was tragically beheaded in a manner very similar to the effects that they did for The Omen and that, that this guy himself did, John Richardson did. And the crash occurred supposedly, grain of salt this, on Friday the, thir Friday the 13th and when he got out of the car, he said he saw a Dutch road sign near the accident that read Amen, O-M-M-E-N, 66.6 kilometers. <clears throat> that would have been better if my voice wasn't cracking. It was a Dutch road sign. It said Amen, which looks a lot like Omen, and then 66.6 kilometers. So Amen, Omen, 666. That's pretty freaky. If that's true, that's pretty freaky. Then, remember Mark Newfield, the exec whose plane was hit by lightning? Well, he and his wife were staying at the Hilton Hotel in London when the Irish Republican Army blew it up. Thankfully, they weren't in the hotel at the time. That is crazy. Still, though, Jesus strikes three, devil strikes two for lightning. So, just saying. Seems like if you want to make a movie, if they say, hey, you got to... We're going to let you star in a movie. Your choice, you can either star in a movie about Jesus Christ or a movie about the devil. You have a lower chance of being hit by lightning if you 
starring in the movie about the devil. So there you go. That's a fun fact. That's a fun fact. I don't think that everybody knows about enough about. So uh, everybody knows enough about enough about. Sure, why not? Finally, last one on this list. This is one. Uh, this is a film that I'd never heard of. It's a movie called A Tuck or A Tuck. Now you might be thinking, I've never seen A Tuck or A Tuck, and well, you're right because the movie never got made. The project was based on a 1963 Mordecai Rickler novel about an Inuit in New York. Now, they had four different men attached to play the lead role, starting in like the 70s and 80s. Those four men that were signed on to play, I'm just going to call it A-Tuck, signed on to play A-Tuck were John Belushi, Sam Kinison, John Candy, and Chris Farley. And if you can't figure out what all of those guys have in common, they were all white men. Actually, there's more, though. There's more. They were all white men that died. Three out of the four. Well, actually, two out of the four from drugs. Yeah, two out of the four. Um, but all of these guys died shortly after entering negotiations to be in this movie. The first one. John Belushi. He read the script in 1982. He was extremely interested in playing the character. He was set to headline the project just months later, but on March 5th, 1982, he died from a drug overdose at the age of 33. After his death, comedian Sam Kinison found his way into the script. He was like, I love it. He was set to star, but he was fired over rewrites and creative control he was still technically on the project when he passed away in a car accident on April 10th, 1992. Then, John Candy, who died of a heart attack before production started during that same very year, again, he signed on, yep, let's get started in production, he dies of a heart attack. Now, maybe a continuation of this curse, maybe there's a fifth one because... John Candy also wanted his friend Michael O'Donohue to join the cast. And in November 1994, yep, you guessed it, he dies as well. Finally, Chris Farley, yep, we want him. He's attached to star in it. He dies of a drug overdose. So, um, yeah, that one, in my opinion, that is a cursed freaking movie right there. And I do not want to be, don't like, don't come to me saying, hey, do you want to be in, we're going to finally do a tuck or a tuck. Do you want to be in it? Because I'm going to say, no, thank you. I'm, I'm kind of good. I'm going to stay away from it. That one is a cursed freaking movie. That's crazy. Apparently there's another movie. Uh, when I was looking up a tuck, there was another movie that has never really made it into production that people are comparing to a tuck which I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. I probably shouldn't have brought it up, but it doesn't matter. I wasn't going to add it to this list because it was never it's never gotten that far into it, but um, people are like, I think that movie's cursed as well. But um, yeah, I had never heard of this last one. What a crazy, crazy movie with four brilliant leads, John Belushi, Sam Kinison, John Candy, and Chris Farley. I would say that you should know three out of those four names. My hope is, oh, did I lose? What just happened? Uh-oh, something happened. Hello? There we go. Oh, now my speakers are dying. That's weird. Um, hello? There we go. 
Now the curse is coming on. Just talking about this movie, it, it turned off all of my speakers and almost turned off my recording device, which would have sucked. Um, I would say that you guys should know three out of those four names. You should know John Belushi, you know, one of the Blues Brothers, and he was brilliant. He, he's just a brilliant actor, Saturday Night Live. You should know him. John Candy, everybody knows John Candy, I would hope. And if you don't, do yourself a favor and watch some John Candy movies. Uh Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck, uh, Great Outdoors, you know, some phenomenal movies. Uh, Summer Rental, I think it's another one. Wait, was he in Great Outdoors? Now I'm questioning that. I think he was. Um, Chris Farley, again, that's an easy one. You guys should all know who Chris Farley is. And Sam Kinison, if you don't know who he is, he was a comedian that was huge in the 80s. Absolutely huge. He screamed a lot. Ah, ah. Very funny guy. Um I, uh, I actually dated his niece for a short, short period of time, a long, long time ago. Um, but um, he was another brilliant comedian. He had cleaned. I've actually talked about him on a previous episode. He kind of cleaned up his life. He was going out to Vegas to do. Um, he was really hardcore, hardcore, hardcore into drugs and got a lot of comedians into drugs, even more so out here in, in California. He was on his way out to Vegas. I think it was to do uh, a comedy show. And he was hit by a drunk driver. He wasn't driving. He was in the passenger seat of the car, but that car was hit head on by this drunk driver. He got out of the car. This is the story that I've talked about before, but it's, it's very interesting. Uh, he gets out of the car, kind of is walking around a little bit. It actually separated his aorta from his heart. That's how hard it was of a hit when like, you know, the, the seatbelt held him back. Um, was talking coherently to whomever it was. I think it was his brother that was driving. He was talking coherently. Sam Kinison was on the ground. He was talking coherently and then just kind of glazed over and looked past his brother and said, like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Okay. And then as soon as he kind of, you know, said okay or whatever it was that he said, I, I, it's not an exact quote, but as soon as he got to that point in the conversation where he was like, you know, like it was okay, he died. So he was obviously seeing something from the other side. 100% seeing something from the other side. But uh, very cool story. Very cool guy. Um, tragic death. Because, again, it wasn't like it wasn't like a couple of them, like John, uh, like John Belushi or Chris Farley that just died of drug overdoses, massive drug overdoses. No, Sam Kinison was just a tragic car accident. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. Cursed movies. Cursed Kurt during this episode of these movies. I couldn't talk to save my life. That was a couple of really bad, uh, uh, maybe had a mini stroke, you know? That was like a tongue twister from hell kind of a thing. That one, uh, this episode got away from me is what I'm saying. But uh, I'm keeping it all in. I'm not changing a damn thing. I'm going to, I'm just going to literally just hit yes and say goodbye and post this episode up and you guys can get it warts and all. But um, there you go. What do you think? Did you know about all these cursed movies or haunted movies? Uh do you think that these are cursed or haunted movies? What is your impression of this? Uh, again, some of them, yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Other ones, not so much. Another, uh, it seems like people are just kind of grasping at straws, but uh, still, very weird. And, you know, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Die Gerschen und ich sag.